Welcome to the Upside Podcast, powered by Upside Global and hosted by Julian Blinn, founder and CEO of Upside Global. The Upside Podcast is listened to weekly by over 6,000 sports and tech executives from all sports leagues and teams in the United States and around the world. Julian has been developing technologies for professional sports teams for over 10 years and has worked for major tech companies along with sports tech startups. In each episode, Julian interviews global leaders in sports to share knowledge on emerging technology in the sports industry and how these technologies can help improve the performance of individuals and organizations both on and off the playing field. And now here's your host, Julian Blinn. So today we have the honor to interview again a group of female sports performance experts. So first we have Laura Mattes, the head of sports and research at VivoSense Medical, a German small innovation and female health company producing and distributing the ovular ring. So welcome back, Laura. Hi, Julian. <laughs> Thanks for having me. No problem. So, hey, so then we have uh, Joelle Muro, the physical therapist of the New York Liberty, a top WNBA team. So welcome, Joelle. Hi, thank you. No problem. Uh, and then we have uh, Mel Pauli, uh, best player on the pitch and athletic trainer at the Swiss Football Association. So welcome back, Mel. Hi, Julian. Thank you. No problem. Uh, and then we have Kirsten uh, Legerlotz, professor at the Humboldt University. So welcome, uh, Kirsten. Hi again. Great. And then we also have uh, Alison Schmidt, a 10-time Olympic medalist in swimming. Uh, we also work for Orico, a leading sports data company. So uh, welcome to the show, Alison. Thank you. Great to be here. Great. Uh, well, thank you all for being here today. So uh, what I'd like to talk about today is first we'll talk about the 2023 Women's Cycle World Cup and how women's teams plan to measure the athletes' menstrual cycles to improve performance and reduce injuries. And then we'll talk about the Deloitte reports, uh, which forecast suggests that the women's sports industry will generate more than $1 billion in revenue in the years to come. And I'd love to get your thoughts on whether or not women's physiology is overlooked or not. And then lastly, we'd love to get your thoughts on the fact that some leading vendors, for example, uh, Connexion, uh, they were historically focused on men's teams. And now a number of vendors are looking to build tailored products for women's teams. So how does it sound? Great, thank you. Great, so hey, the first topic I want to cover today is uh, the 2023 uh, Women's Soccer World Cup. Mel, you're actually right, I think, uh, up there in New Zealand. Uh, we're not getting ready for a tournament. So uh, according to an article that I found, right, so many of the top teams at this year's Women's World Cup uh, will deploy strategies similar to the one used by the US uh, in France. And a company called Orico, that Alison, you worked for, uh, who's been consulting for a number of national teams. Uh, in Europe and North America, but I think the, the willingness to tackle the potential impact of periods on performance is not universal. So in the article, the person said, quote, you know, I do know one national team whose uh, uh, ethos is just to put all the athletes on a pill that delays menstruation during the walk-up, so they don't need to worry about periods. So my question to you guys is, are you surprised by this? And with the women's walk-up, uh, which is just a few weeks away, how far have sporting teams and scientific research come since 2019 in addressing the performance implication of the menstrual cycles, right? So how far is there to go in incorporating women's health into uh, sports science? Anybody wants to start? Yeah, I, th I think I can start because I'm, I'm right now in New Zealand. Um, 
we we will begin the the competition in uh, about one one week now yeah. as for first game um first of all i'm when i when i when i read um read what you said uh, i was shocked because for me in 2023 uh i'm really shocked that it's still happening um mm-hmm. with the swiss fa we already track also in also thanks for the US US team, and uh, you we already used that also used to to work with Orico since since the Euro 2022, and um, for me it's like like so natural now that we that we consider that that we have to to track that that we have to to take care to be aware about that that uh, yeah I'm shocked but on the same time. I know that there is a lot, still a lot, a lot of things to do. There is a gap also between now there is more and more awareness in the science. So we try to to fulfill this gap. But when I really look what's happening in the reality, who mm-hmm. uh, first we have to empower, we have to break the taboo, we have to speak about it. We have uh, there is a lack of uh, education. Um, and I'm so happy that uh, we already actually with the Swiss team so far uh, in this sense and uh, making our girls aware and uh, not just our first team, but also all our youth team. So um, I hope we can keep doing to do that. And um, yeah, so, but I'm I'm sure that now the, the science, the women health also with this visibility of this World Cup will, will help to for this woman health and um, for the research. I'm yeah, convinced about no, this. Good point. <laughs> good point. Anybody else? Kirsten? Anybody? Yeah, I think it's uh, it was actually common practice in the GDR to tell women to take hormonal contraception so that they didn't have to worry about. But that, that was many, many years ago. And there's a good reason why we don't have this system anymore. Also, we have to consider that hormonal contraception is is associated with a with a number of benefits in terms of less premenstrual and menstrual symptoms but there can also be disadvantages like it can impact regeneration it can impact adaptation and that's a very individual individually different response so it's just not a solution to tell everyone to take the pill because for some women it might actually be better to take it because if they suffer enormously from menstrual symptoms it might actually be advantages to get that under control but that's just not for everyone makes sense who wants to go next alison okay um i mean it's not crazy to me just because I've lived it my whole life and I've been on a male program and trained on a male program, which I've had a lot of success training on a male program. But to now understand um, in my 30s how we don't have the education. And that's why I work with uh, Orico and Fitter Women to educate the world and hopefully empower women for this global change. Um, not only for female in sports, but all female exercising. And it's a mission of mine because I know that um, when I got on the international scene in 2007, I was anemic in 2010, was told to get on birth control. I went years without having 
a period which at 20 years old you, you think that's great like you don't have to deal with something um but now i realize that i was suppressing the, those hormones and how in the future how can we use those hormones to be a superhero um i think that so many so much of our society is based off of superheroes being males and superman um but there's a lot of females out there that can be superheroes and i think or i definitely encourage all women to use their hormones to have to release their inner superhero makes sense great quotes by the way um anybody else laura joelle okay um hey joelle everybody here so uh yeah i mean i think i agree with everything that everyone's saying um it's interesting so from a personal perspective one time i had a question about kind of my cycle phase and i have a lot of best friends who are in the medical field right both for the general population and sports et cetera, et cetera. and i had a question about my cycle and i texted a friend who's a doctor and i asked her the question and she really couldn't give me a direct answer and i really couldn't give a direct answer and we we're both like what is wrong with this situation how can why can neither of us really answer this question this is actually a problem if we can't even answer this question. So think about the athletes who are trying to perform at top 1%, an elite level, and you know who knows what kind of questions and concerns. And um, I mean, Allison, you can speak to this better than anyone in this in this podcast. Like, who, you have these questions and concerns and confusion, right? So then you also think about general population. Um, not only just for grassroots level of sports, but really anybody. Um, and so I think, you know, if you, you've all kind of touched on a really important piece of just bare minimum education. Like how can we spread sort of take away the stigma of just even talking about menstrual cycles and things like that and just the effect of not only sports, but daily life. So what are the people doing outside of the hours that they're training? Like how how are we how are we looking at these factors to normalize it? and decrease that stigma so that way because yeah i mean it's truly it's truly an um it's really something that we really haven't tapped much into and allison to your point if we tap into that how can we change the narrative and really utilize it as a strength so i really like all the points everybody's talked on but again i think just something as simple as destigmatizing normalizing and improving the education across the board yeah, I mean that's like, you know that's also why we're doing this podcast, right? Because I feel like all the conversation about is about men, men's teams and men athletes, but it's totally different when it comes to women's teams and athletes. So, um, Laura, do you want to add a comment? <clears throat> well, maybe like thanks for everything that you said. Uh, I really agree with you. Yeah, I honestly, um, I would have thought that it might be even more than one team that still does that, and um, I. At the same time, of course, it's not good, but um, I really thought it would be more. And um, so I think in a way, like also you, you asked the question, like how far have we come since 2019? And I think like if we, if we think back a few years, then there is a lot of awareness, even though not so much is integrated or it is not um, accessible for everybody. But still, there is so much more knowledge and so much more resources. Obviously, there is like so much to do still in, in research, in education and everything. 
But um, still, I mean, there are professional teams that train based on the menstrual cycle and include uh, female physiology, uh, which we hadn't uh, like five years ago, I think, at least. Um, so I think a lot has happened, but still there's so much to do. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, it's probably more than one team. Uh, maybe she knew of one team, but it could be two or three or five. Who knows? Uh, right. So, uh, hey, uh, great feedback. So the next question I want to talk to you about was there's been a, a Deloitte report that's in, in that report, right? They're forecasting that the women's sports industry will generate more than $1 billion in revenue in the years to come, uh, where other studies claim that women's sports are a better long-term bet than their uh, med equivalents. So also believe that the sector offers greater scope for innovation, a less congested calendar and investment environment, and significant room for growth, right? I mean, for example, Joel, you work for WNBA, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's growing in popularity, right? I was just at the NBA Summer League and they had the All-Star Game, I mean, as we speak, right? So uh, are you guys surprised by, by this, this forecast, the reports and why? Anybody wants to start? Um, Laura here, uh, no, I'm not really surprised because like this is like something that we don't see only in sports, like when it comes to health or um, nutrition or like, several markets um, that were focused on men before or that made their suggestions made on, made on uh, research, uh, made, on, made with men. Um, we have this growth potential in all these markets and especially in sports where like it's it, there's so like when you compare it like from the view viewers or or the money that goes into there like you, you have to imagine or let's at least that's what i'm imagining like when you compare it there's obviously a huge gap in in sports and so all this which is still missing will come not tomorrow and maybe not next year, but it will come. So, I mean, that's a huge potential and not talking about, I think uh, it's another question that might come about the like, special needs of women. Like, even if there would not be special needs, like when it comes to menstrual cycle or hormonal fluctuations, also like equality, like uh, thinking only about that, this, only uh, standing alone is a huge uh, growth potential. I'll probably be a little too candid in saying this, but there's a lot of room for growth when you're starting below the bare minimum. So if we're starting at such a low level, of course there's gonna be so much room for growth. So the fact that it's looked at as this anomaly of, oh my gosh, there's so much we can do. Yeah, because we're not doing much. So let's do a little more and we'll see some better outcomes. And I say that coming, so I work in professional sports and I've worked in the WNBA and the, at the NWSL. And when we're in the NWSL um, in the bubble tournament in 2020, if you looked at viewership statistics, and I could be very wrong on this, but I'm happy to talk to anybody that wants to talk about this. Um, the viewership of all the sports were in the red the NWSL was actually in the green in terms of how many people chimed into watching the NWSL bubble tournament. And it wasn't just, you know, 20%. I, if I can remember correctly, I'm pretty sure it was over like 200 to 300% in viewership. A most recent um, 
article just came out, I think, that said that the WNBA viewership this year is over 40% greater than in previous years. So it's really just, yeah, it's no brainer to me. And again, I, I work in it, right? Like I work in the day to day, like Mel, like as you do too. And so of course I probably, ha probably have a little bit more passion when I'm talking about this, but it's just, yeah, it's a no brainer. If we put some stuff, some resources into this, we're gonna see some outcomes. So is there room for growth? Absolutely, because there hasn't really been much in the first place is my personal take on it. Yeah, thank you, Joe, great point. I actually saw that the NBA has a new CBA agreement, which allow NBA players to invest, I think up to 4% into a WNBA team. But I think it's a great uh, way to also maybe leverage the uh, I mean, popularity of NBA players to bring more awareness. I mean, I think, like you said, there's a lot of growth happening right now, so. Um, Anybody wants to uh, jump in or comment on the topic? I think if I exaggerate, I'm totally agree with you, Joel. Um, if I exaggerated, we had nothing at the beginning. And so if you begin just with a little bit, but just really a little bit, not have to be too much, you will make a lot of huge progress and a lot of huge. So now we are in this step everybody is speaking about it it will be aware so it will everybody will jump on that but where i am the most ex exciting to see what will happen in the consistently after that because when you reach a several level that's good but that's the minimum what you need and then you need more to go really to the point and to really search what we need and 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 focused on on several stuff and uh, that's what you say that we are everywhere and then we have to, and that's the, will be really the part we are, will be interesting to see if the consistently of the investor of the, all the, the staff will, will keep doing because yeah. it's take time take because time. everything is a little more, yeah, not complicated, but uh, all, uh, different, you know? And that's why that was the reason why there was no research because it takes time, it takes money. So I will really be exciting to see when we reach the point after the minimum <laughs> to be consistent to grow. Totally, I agree with that. And I think I've even been personally seeing that myself with just the various teams and leagues that I've been involved with. And truthfully, that's one of the reasons why I came to the team that I'm working with is because at, for me at my point in my career, I'm not real. I don't really care about the glamour of things. What I care about is the culture and what is the drive behind what we're doing for the team. What's the ultimate goal? What's the what's the thing that we're truly trying to achieve here? Not just in the day to day game in the league, but also for the greater good of everything. And I've seen it with the team that I work with, where when you just have people from the top, because it does start from the top, right? When you have people from the top that are willing to put their money where their mouth is and invest. I mean, it's just it works <laughs> so yeah good point uh, anybody else wants to uh, comment on that yeah i um i mean i love this conversation and i love to hear the passion behind it as well um joel i heard her voice getting higher and it made me excited and made me more passionate about it so i mean everyone on this call is passionate about female sports and educating and empower females. Um, I actually just pulled up um, a few stats that I'd like to 
um, say about the gaps and um, four of the stats were one of them is research and 36% of female is represented in research studies and only 6% of those are female only research, which is absolutely crazy to me. Um, for education, 28% of exercise and women receive education um, and 90% of women actually report symptoms. Um, seven out of 10 girls quit sports during puberty, and by age 14, they drop out at twice the rate of boys. And 65 to 70% of athletes say their performance is, is affected at some point in their cycle. And so these are the gaps that everyone on here is trying to close um, and empower women to be the CEO of their own bodies. And I think, so I'm not surprised that um, it's projected to keep on growing and generate more than $1 um, billion. I can see that exceeding that um, just because there is so much more education out there about there about it. And just like on this call, so many people excited and passionate about spreading that education and making that change. That makes sense. Anybody else has any comment on the topic? No? Okay, so, hey, the, I've got two more questions. One or one topic, the next one is, uh, there was an article that came out, I think Orico CEO, Dr. Brian Moore, uh, made a, a statement saying that when it comes to sports in particular, a uh, woman's uh, physiology has been so overlooked that there are monstrous gains to be made in terms of performance when you do start paying attention to it. So do you agree with that? Is women's physiology overlooked and why? Anybody? Kirsten, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely overlooked and we, we know that uh, for sure. I wouldn't necessarily say that there are monstrous gains to be made, but I think that in elite sports, it can also be trivial changes that can be important or can be decisive between losing or winning. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, yeah, monstrous gain. It's 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 good enough if we if we just know know enough and know more and gain more knowledge. And there is certainly um, a lot more we need to know about women's physiology. Because as uh, yeah, as Alison has said already, that um, most studies have been done on on men, and we cannot really transfer everything that we have found in men just to women. That just just doesn't work. For sure. Uh, thank you, Kirsten. Anybody else? I know from my perspective, whenever I'm looking at research and things like that, in terms of just different data points of um, even like KPIs and things like that, particularly for my for for me when I'm returning athletes to play and things of that sort. I mean, personally, it is a bit frustrating when our articles are consistently on um, male co cohorts, right? You do you are starting to see a change where you're starting to see a lot of you know U18 or something like that for um, female teams. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's definitely under. Um, there's not a large amount of research for especially the elite level athlete uh, on the women's side. I think it was 9%. 9% of the research are towards women, uh, I believe. Yeah, I think it used to be maybe 6%, right, Mel? I think you were saying 6% the other day, right? So it's it's getting better, but there's room to grow. Um, anybody wants to comment on this topic? Yeah, Mel? 
you're always positive, Julian. I like that when I you say nine percent. We hope we we achieve this really, really quick. But also when I see my perspective in the practice, in a point of view, as an athletic coaches in a men's staff, <laughs> uh, when you when you want to implement it, this this all sub, uh, thematic from the menstrual cycle and stuff like this, it's just not me. It's about all the staff. So all the medical staff, all the physiotherapists, all the head coach, assistant coach, all the staff has to commit for this. And there is some people, they it's okay. They they you tell them and they are really fascinated. They they think, wow, it's really interesting. Oh, that's a ni nice point of view. And there is other people who need, who really need the research. What is saying the research about this? why should we put a lot of invest a lot of time when we don't know the output and at the moment it's like really like i can't answer them because the first the first question i i get from one of the clubs from our girls when because they know we are tracking the first the first question was for the performance coach was what is the output for this full and i told him I have no idea. I have no idea. I can't tell you that's 5% better of your performance. But once I know if your, your, your key player feel better, I don't care if it's because of uh, awareness or if because we track and we make a strategy or it's because of placebo. But what I'm sure, what I observed, that all my players are much better, feel better. If they feel better, they will perform better. They will focus on the, the right stuff. And so I'm convinced about this. And if it's just 1%, and if the key moment she has to make the goal to qualify for the group, I take it. And and that's, that's, that's I can't just speak like this and I don't want to wait for the research because if I wait for the research, I'm still here in 15 years. So I have to try and I have to to, to observe all the case study will be done on individual athletes, Alison, you probably agree with me, are working. So why it will not work with 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 the team? And sometimes they have the feeling it's really complicated, but it's not. But I think it's really important to, it was overlooked. So the woman physiology is overlooked. And still now, sometimes when when I see that in the team, they always have the feeling, oh, we are just making that. We are just speaking about uh, oh, now you are training cycle oriented. Yeah, but it's not just this, it's a monitoring tool more. We have naturally to tell us how we are and what we can do to help to be better regenerate, to, to be better in activation, depending on the phase of we are or whatever. So it's not just in which phase you are, it's more, it's, it's, it's much more behind. And this awareness now we have to put it also in the team who already working with and and to 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 trust the people around that that's really something really really great yeah great points uh mel uh anybody I have, I have a question for for mel actually are you are you tracking the the cycles in, in the whole swiss national team yeah we are tracking that's I, I, f I find that very interesting because that that actually football or soccer is driving that process because what, what I hear from many 
other sports is that well we are training in a group and it's so complicated if we uh, track the cycles and we can't actually adapt our training protocol uh, to the menstrual cycle because it's too difficult and I find that very funny because it seems like football is 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 driving that development actually of, of cycle tracking and, and that's the sport where you have a big team actually and it, it seems to work in in football whereas it, it doesn't seem to work in other sports that's my mission I, I am on to see, to say that it's not just for individual athlete or just women who are not in sports that's for everybody and because you can there is differences in the terminology if you are making really sick uh, cyclist based training or oriented to the cycle that's different but you can really help already also the team because you can make in an individual way you you don't have to touch the content of the head coach you can walk around and it's already enough. You're already making a lot. And sometimes I have some clubs coming. Oh, we want to train cycle oriented. And I'm like, okay, first of all, are you speaking about this, about this with your player? No. Ah, okay. So we start, we start with that. Okay. And if we start with that, we already cycle oriented because we speak about it. So there is a little, we, we, we develop a lot of, of, of different stages, but I think Julian can be a next pod, podcast uh, thematic. The best practices. Sure. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Good topic. If I can touch really quick on that point, um, uh, Kirsten, is something I, something that I've, I've personally witnessed too from that aspect. I see that uh, I see that being said, and me being you know growing up playing football, soccer, primarily working in that sport, knowing that the culture behind it is so data driven and so science based. Um, I have a hard time when people say that to me as well, where I think, well, I know teams with rosters of 20 plus people that are doing this. So why it's not that difficult. But again, I think that's where the importance of establishing a culture, like you said, Mel, like, well, yeah, you want to do this. Okay. But first, have we even talked about this? Have we even discussed, like established, what are the, what are the foundations of why we're doing this? The reasonings of why we're doing this and how we're going to implement it. Like, let's have those conversations first. So I see the culture of, first off, the sport being a little bit different um, from others that I've worked with. And also just, I think, in the, the groups and teams that you work with, establishing that culture too. Yeah, it's good. Super, yeah, very important point. Thank you, uh, Joel. Anybody else wants to comment on that topic? Nobody? Okay. Hey, the, yeah, yes, Laura, yeah, go ahead. Um, so, like, Thanks, uh, Mel, for what you said, because I think like talking about it is, is, is so important that it makes the people, the, the players feel better. And I like one point that I would like to make is like when it comes to this discussion of, okay, how, how much better will they be or what does it make with the success rate is like for me, another point that wasn't mentioned yet is like it is a question of respect for me. To, like it must be possible to to talk about how you feel and not necessarily take painkillers a week or a few days or whatever and nobody cares like i mean no one thing is that if if you if you if you if you don't have the taboo and you are, can can speak 
freely about it. Of course, it makes you feel better, but it's like it's it's just such a denial and disrespect to not um, in 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 include like what is just so natural and like i think this is a, a point which which really is is important like it's just not i i can't i can't even find the right words for it that it uh, should not be uh on the table right yeah uh, good you know, point i i i i compare always because in the team sports, like you said, um, uh, Laura, in the team sports, they, well, like we said, it seems so complicated. And I always uh, compare, uh, make the comparison with the Swiss watch, the mechanic Swiss watch, who has like 400 or 600 pieces, you know? And you spread these watches and you have a lot of pieces everywhere. And all these pieces are to work so good together that the watching is going correctly. And, and uh, for me is in individual sports, you can say, okay, if you make track and field, you are your body, you have the wind and that's it. And you go. And, but in, in team sport, there is a lot of different aspects will, will, will influence the performance. And I am saying, okay, you, you see this little piece for the watches, this little one there, this, that's your cycle. So it's mean for me, there is a lot of other pieces who will influence your performance. But these little pieces here belong to this to, to the system, and if this one is not working very well, your clock will not work very well. So your machine here will also not work very well. So you have to consider this, like I'm speaking about technical tactical, like I'm speaking about how I feel this morning. My job as a professional is to look that my body is going good. So in which phases I am, that I can help my body to perform or to regenerate or whatever. Yeah, I, I've really enjoyed this conversation because I mean, there's been bits and pieces of everyone's um, conversation that have resonated with me and with the getting the 1% better and how can, as female athletes, can we get that 1% better? And that's through more research and we have to find different ways, which we are in the process of doing. Um, it's also even when there is the research out there is figuring out how to translate that research and make it relatable so that everyone can understand that high level research because as an athlete who's not has my who doesn't have my PhD how am I supposed to translate that and that's when we turn to the professionals to really translate that for us which like Brian is saying I've loved working with Brian and the fitter uh, women team um, to really translate that research and help optimize performance. Um, it's been an absolute blessing to be able to do that. And I know that there is so much more work to be doing, but um, like Mel said, having that conversation. Um, and I know working with, um, trying to get into the NCAA teams because in my opinion, the age group of 18 through 22 is so important to, for this education. Um, it is very difficult, and I hear a lot of people say that coaches, as a coach, as a male coach, I don't know how to speak to my athletes, and that is part of the education that we have to give as well as how do males talk to females about their period, about bleeding, about their feelings, and not feel uncomfortable talking about that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, hey, the last stop, do you want to, anybody else want to comment on that? 
Okay. The last question, the last topic I want to talk about was uh, I've noticed uh, a number of leading vendors, right? They were historically focused on men's teams and athletes that are now launching uh, products specifically for women's teams. For example, one of them is Connexan, the leading GPS vendor, and they came up with this uh, GPS system for women's teams. Uh, so do you think, or what do you think of that, that trend? And do you think it's likely to become a major trend among uh, the tech vendors in the future? Anybody? I sure hope so. <laughs> I mean, like we were we've been talking about this whole conversation is how can we empower women and help um, women's sports grow? And this is one of the ways and having bigger companies uh, like Joel talked about um, starting at the top and having those the people at the top invest in female athletes and female sports is the way that this is going to continue to grow because yes the conversation has started and yes we've seen change a, a little bit of change in my opinion in the past few years but i believe that there can be so much more change and so much more beneficial information out there and um tools out there that can be tailored for women but also be used for men in different ways yeah great point anybody yeah, I think I think also if I took really the perspective of practitioner and okay, what does that would be efficient for me? Um, the danger I see a little bit also in this now because it's it's coming. So all the marks like oh we have to make something for the woman whatever. But for me, what the most important is I don't care if it's for women and men. I just want to know what is the content. How can I use that for a woman or or can I use that for a man? And and not just marketing, you know, like uh, okay, we say it's for women, so boom, it's for women, and it will that will be the how do you say when you have the medaille, you have the the side and the other side, and mm -hmm. I think it's really really important to to stay aware to for the quality that it's really um, research based. Uh, what is the content? Is it really? Because GPS, yeah, but what is the content? What can you calibrate? What is the, the, the calibration? calibration? What is the measure? What is the, um, let's say, uh, yeah, what is what I really can use for the woman, like I can use for the man, but for the woman, okay, what? What is the difference? And yeah. and uh, that's more this question we have to to take care if we want to keep the quality and not just yeah. the marketing. You know, or the hype, the hype, or whatever it is. The hype. I put, yeah. I put pink, and that's for women. No, right. You know what I mean? Uh, I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to say a mark, a, 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 a brand, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Anybody? Yeah, I agree with you, man. I was also wondering um, uh, how how this GPS uh, should be different for women. But um, yeah. I mean, still, I think, like we mentioned already, a few aspects like uh, differences in physiology or the uh, menstrual cycle or also body shape, maybe like, um, for example, that's still like I read this a few weeks ago and I thought like, really, this is still like that, that still so many female soccer players are struggling with their shoes because they are designed for men, like. This is just like seriously, um, yeah. 
Um, so, so I think in in that way um, there will still uh, is still a lot to do. But also from from tech side, um, I think that especially these physiology things like that you have to track other things because there are uh, fluctuations or that they have different meanings, the measures, and that you might need different um, like data density or so on, or different evaluations, so different software. I think that this will come, yes. Great point. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that all of y'all have said. And funny, you bring up the shoe, like the boot piece too, because that's not just in soccer, right? Like I see it in basketball right now, right now too. I was blown away when I found out that pretty much all the WNBA athletes wear male shoe, male sized shoes. There isn't really many, I don't think there's, and I can be completely wrong on this, but from my understanding, there's really only two, two lines that are like, there's only two styles that are actually for women. And they're mm -hmm. both because two athletes created those styles. And I have happen to be very fortunate to work with both of those athletes. So that's on one team. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's just like, it's, it's mind blowing. I, even the other day, someone, I, it was funny. I, again, might be speaking a little too candid, but someone I know, I offered them a pair of WNBA basketball shorts and they're, it was a guy and he said, I'm not wearing those shorts. I was like, why? And he's like, cause they're women. And I said, do you realize my whole life I've had to wear men's sized uniforms? Mm -hmm. Oh, I don't want to hear that. Put the shorts on. And so um, it was just kind of a funny moment. But so I, in terms of the work with the, the data and the metrics, um, I'm interested in seeing how this changes too. And I think it could be something as simple as just creating those baselines of metrics. Cause you know, when teams get these systems and they're, they're given, um, you know, this is what we typically see done for X, Y, and Z metric. Well, then you look and it's based off the NBA or it's based off the MLS or it's based off the EPL. Like, okay, cool. But like, what, what does that actually look like for what the output of our team demographic looks like? So, well, yeah, I'm interested in see, seeing what it's going to look like. But again, I think just a system's a system, but how are we, like you said, Mo, like, how are we actually utilizing it um, specifically to our demographic? What, what are those just, what are those baseline normal, normal measures? Yeah, one thing I would say on that is that there are, so first of all, Oracle, I think they've done one of the few companies that build, I think, a female uh, focused software, right, for women's team. Also, I've seen some companies like Zone 7, it's an AI software platform. They're starting to kind of create a baseline and collect data for women's team to have that baseline. So I think it's coming, but it's it's very small right now, right? So it's kind of just starting, right? So I think to your point, they need to do way more than that. Uh, so anyway, anybody wants to comment? Anybody else? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's it's also, I think we for, for a lot of things, we need tailored solutions for, for, for women, but it's simply not enough to just transfer everything we have invented for men to women, because there might also be women specific problems that we haven't addressed at all. Like for example, stress incontinence, that's something men usually doesn't suffer from. And that's something we, we specifically need a solution for the sports, for females, um, and just for females, not for men. Um, and I think there are certain other areas like um, ACL cruciate, uh, anterior cruciate ligament injuries, which women suffer far more from than, than males, where we need specific solutions for just females. Yeah, that, that makes sense. 
On that point, Kirsten, I have a friend who she runs her own pelvic floor practice now. She's a physical therapist and I'm in my mid thirties. I've been working in with professional athletes for over a decade now. And some of the things that I'm just now learning from her have completely changed the way I even think about rehabbing a hip or doing something like that. And like you mentioned, stress incontinence, things like that, where I mean, I wasn't really taught a lot of stuff on that in my schooling a long time ago. Um, and so, and, and I think kind of rounding this all out with all the points we've talked about, like de de normalizing that conversation, right? So then you see that those conversations start to happen and then you hopefully start to get more like viewership of sports because we're talking about all this stuff. And then you start to see more like ads on TV. You start to see more things on the media where it's not just talking about the viewership of the game, but we're now seeing, like I saw this really creative ad the other day when I was watching a game from I think Venus razor blades or something. And just the way the whole ad was based on shaving for a woman, I thought to myself, wow, I would have never seen this one ad a couple of years ago. Yeah. Now it's just an everyday life. So just, you know, creating this conversation from the data, from the physiology, from the anatomy, from um, viewership, it's really all just about, I think, the same topic, which is just normalizing it all. And let's just talk about it more and bring it more to the attention of people. I also really, I love what you say about that, because even from an athlete perspective, I know this is talked about a lot in the medical field and in the uh, professional world, but as an athlete, you don't really hear this kind of conversation. And I'm just recovering from two hip surgeries. And I just heard about pelvic floor physical therapy within the past year. And I'm like, how have I never heard about this before? And I'm 32 years old. So I'm hearing all my friends who have gone through pregnancies and they're having to go through this. And it's like, I've never even knew this was a thing. Like I thought they were making this up at first. And so just again, opening that conversation to not just professionals or um, colleagues, but to the athletes that you guys are working with as well is I think a huge step in the right direction. So thank oh, great. you. Oh, no problem. Well, thank you everybody. So look, we, we're at the end of the podcast, but really interesting conversation. So thank you everybody for your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To access past episodes and other research, articles, and analysis of sports technology, please visit our website, theupside.us. Subscribe to the Upside newsletter and receive full access to our sports tech business letter and website. Royalty-free music is provided by ibaudio.com. The Upside podcast provides timely insights and interviews with global leaders in sports technology. Until next time, keep looking to the Upside.